Today on Blue 58, have you ever seen a movie that's pretty good but leaves you wanting more? To me, that's the Packers' defensive line. It's not a screaming need heading into the draft, but the Packers need more from it. Fortunately, there are prospects to be had in the draft, and they should be able to get a good one. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. I am doubly happy. Uh, to be hosting this episode today because, for one, our draft eval process is over after this one. Apologies to those of you who were awaiting the special teams punter, kicker, long snapper episode. Just not going to happen. I'm sure there's some great punters and kickers and long snappers out there. I do not have the time nor the energy to find them. Reaching the end of our draft process is always good for me personally because... It's a lot of work to go through all these prospects, and I'd like to get to a portion of the calendar where can we can react and kind of focus on some things that you know we want to dive deeper on rather than stuff that is just going to happen and then be over here in about a week. And that's the second really good thing. We're about a week out, less than a week out by the time you're hearing this, from the actual draft happening. The prep is over. It's time to see what the Packers are actually going to do. And not to get too far ahead, but in our next episode, that's what we're going to be talking about. I'll be doing two mock drafts and talking through them, as well as giving some overall thoughts on the draft class and what I think the Packers will do, and maybe some of the things that I think they should do. But for right now, we have to talk about the defensive line. As I said in the very brief cold open, the Packers' defensive line is pretty good. It's not great, but pretty good. And a lot of guys had better years than we've seen from them under Joe Barry in year one. Kenny Clark was typical Kenny Clark, uh, but Dean Lowry had basically a career year, and the rest of the the unit was pretty good. And I think that's because they asked less from their defensive line than the Packers did under uh, Mike Pettin. Gone was the two-gapping stuff where Kenny Clark was just up front eating space. Guys like Dean Lowry having to do something similar ended up with him getting washed out a bunch. And look, that still happened to guys like Dean Lowry. But on the whole, I think it's a question of expectations. And if you have high expectations for a guy like Dean Lowry because of what he's getting paid, I think that's fair. But there's also an aspect of a guy being what he is at this point. And what he is is fairly limited, but you know, capable of some good moments at times too. Overall, though, I think no matter your opinion on individual players we can agree that the Packers could use a little bit more from their defensive line. And looking a little bit longer term, there's not much there either. Dean Lowry and Jaron Reed both going to be free agents after the season. That leaves you, Kenny Clark and TJ Slayton, among your top four. Jack Heflin also in there as well. I don't really know what to expect from him. Guys like him are basically year to year anyway. And then you've got a guy like Tyler Lancaster basically in that same situation. What are you really going to do with that defensive line? It's fine. It's not bad. You're probably not going to lose a game strictly because of your defensive line. Even in the 2021 playoffs where the Packers gave up more rushing yards than I think we'd we'd expected from them over the course of the season, you'd be hard-pressed to say the defensive line was the reason they lost that game. Any part of the defense really was not the reason they lost that game. The offense lost that game for the Packers. Sure, they did have opportunities to stop the 49ers late and didn't. That is fair. But on the whole, the defense was pretty good. And there really wasn't a whole lot more you could have asked from, I think, the defensive line. And that basically was the story of the season. But still, you want more. And the Packers need to add talent to get there. So how do we find that talent? Huh, that brings me into the next segment of the show. Our methodology for determining what defensive linemen we want to talk about. 
it's broadly similar to edges. Uh, I want athletes for starters. So we're looking at guys that have a relative athletic score of eight or better. And I want guys with some pass rush juice, at least a little bit. We lower the threshold significantly. Last year it was 1.0 for production ratio. This year I've bumped it down to 0.7, just so we get some guys to talk about that aren't just pure edge rushers bumping inside or who may be a little bit bigger than your typical edge rushers. We're also restricting our discussion to guys that weighed 280 pounds or more in CBS Sports Top 400 uh, Draft Prospects database. That is a bit of an artificial constraint. There are some edges that are just a little bit bigger. There are some defensive linemen who are a little bit smaller. But just as, a, for instance, that's, that's what we're going to go with. you got to draw the line somewhere. And outside of that, it's hard to make meaningful distinctions on who's an edge and who's a defensive lineman unless you get really granular going scouting report by scouting report. We could do that, but it's pretty time intensive. So let's just not. Let's just talk about as big a pool of guys as we can and set some other thresholds and try to determine it from there. I do think it gets us some pretty good guys to talk about. And there are some interesting prospects beyond the top end of the class too. The class overall, I would say, seems pretty deep. There aren't, I don't get the impression there are really that many world-shaking talents, though a guy like Jordan Davis out of Georgia certainly is very, very interesting. More on him here in a second. There is a pretty broad selection of guys that meet one of at least my first two criteria. Production-wise, it's a little bit more iffy. We had more guys last year, even accounting for guys that may have been edges and just ended up in our defensive line discussion. We had more guys to talk about last year. There's also a few dynamite athletes like Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt who end up being afflicted by the curse of Georgia being great. Georgia has so many guys that are legitimate NFL talents in their front seven, defensive line, edge, and linebacker, that their evaluations end up affecting each other. And it gets tough to determine without getting super granular on film and like interviewing coaches about responsibilities and what you're asking guys to do and, and things like that, that it's, it's hard to figure out who's responsible for whose success. And as a result, just as a spoiler alert, both Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt are going to be tier one or tier two prospects for us. They're not going to be guys that we talk about in depth just because they don't hit the production numbers that we're looking for. And part of that is because they're just as only so many sacks to go around. There's only so many tackles to go around and you can't get ratio-based production numbers or even volume-based production numbers if your other elite teammates are taking up all the sacks and tackles for loss. We had that same issue with Trevon Walker when we talked about edges. Still, I think we've got a good group to talk about. And if if one of those two guys ends up on the Packers, though I'd, there's some other issues with Wyatt off the field, he'd be doing, he'd be doing just fine. He would not worry about their production in college at all. So let's talk about the guys that we do have. I've got four guys in the tier one group, and I think it gives us a pretty broad cross-section across the entire draft. As I said at the very start when we started doing edges, the way that I do the draft process is intended to be draft, or it's intended to be round agnostic. I think a lot of draft coverage ends up too focused on the first round or maybe first two rounds. Doing stuff like this is intended to bring us prospects from every level of the draft. And we're going to end up talking about at least one guy who may be an undrafted free agent. That's fine. 
because the Packers build their roster through undrafted free agents, and plenty of undrafted free agents end up sticking around in the NFL for a long time. Just think about how long we've been talking about Tyler Lancaster. He's the perfect example of a guy who probably, I would have to look back on what his production numbers were, but on athleticism alone, I know that he is he would have been a tier one prospect. His relative athletic score was at least in the eights, may have been a nine. He, he was a great tester uh, for defensive linemen. He was, um, he was real good at at Northwestern. But um, that's not everything. Uh, just the, the round where you go is not everything, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I, I want to just remind you as we bring this to a close that, that what I've been saying about guys is not necessarily limited to, you know, top end players or um, guys that we think are going to be in, in the first round, going to end up going in the first round. Make sense? Good. All right. Our first prospect, if we're going alphabetical, by last name, like we've done the entire time here, is Zachary Carter out of Florida. Six foot four, two hundred and eighty-two pounds, a relative athletic score of eight point one and a production ratio of one point oh five. For starters, the size athleticism production combination is great. Um, a- athleticism is exactly what you're looking for, though on the lower end, and that's partly due to his size, a little bit on the lighter side. Production of one point oh or production ratio of one point oh five is is nothing to sneeze at either, especially at a school like Florida. While it's good overall, though, individually, nothing is really outstanding. Now, I know eight qualifies as elite, but there are many guys in this class who put up better testing numbers than did Mr. Carter. And the production numbers are good, sure, but for a guy who's being considered an edge rusher by a lot of different um, scouting outlets, including Pro Football Focus and and Dane Brugler um, of The Athletic, one is not great. Uh, we we dinged Rashawn Gary pretty hard back in 2019 for only having a production ratio of 0.95. And he was a much better athlete than Carter was, and not all that much smaller. Played probably a pretty similar role to Carter at at uh, at Michigan that, that Florida or that Carter did at Florida. So individually nothing really stands out. Size two is just just okay. He'd be small for an interior guy, would be pretty big for an edge rusher. What do you do with him? That is the classic definition of a tweener. And like we said, production ratio is, is good for a defensive lineman, for, but for an edge with that size, yeah, what do you do? He reminds me as a result of Mike Neal, or if you're being generous, of a Rashawn Gary. What is he really? There are questions about that with Rashawn Gary when he came out too. Were the Packers going to ask him to bulk up and just be a true defensive lineman, or did they want him to stay on the edge? And the answer was no and yes. Uh, they did want him to stay on the edge, but he does end up doing a lot of stuff inside too. Carter is going to face those same kind of questions. Do you have him as a rotational base end in a in a four three? Okay, well he's not going to be on the field a whole lot at two hundred eighty two pounds. I guess that's the rotational part. Obviously, do you want him to be an edge? Okay, well he's going to have to produce a lot more than he has to this point. And what is that athleticism going to do against other NFL caliber athletes? Fair questions. Still probably a pretty good prospect late in day three, two or on on day three. Logan Hall from Houston is next up. A very intriguing prospect. Six foot six, two hundred and eighty-two pounds, relative athletic score of nine eight four, production ratio just point seven eight. But that is partly due to how he was used at Houston. And we'll talk about that here in a second. You love his length and versatility. Uh, he's got the size measurables, the edge measurables, uh, or, or measurables I should say, that look like an, an edge. Uh, but he spent a lot of time inside. He lines up over guards and on the inside shoulders of guards 
a lot. But that is a Packers pass rusher to a T. The Packers love to do that with uh, guys that might be a little bit on the smaller side. I worry about guys sometimes like Hall, who can do everything, supposedly. So you read scouting reports on him, they're like, well, he can line up outside, he can line up inside, he, he can do a little bit of everything. Okay. But if you start talking yourself into having a unicorn, and you draft him with unicorn-level draft capital, what happens when you find out that you've just got a horse? Boy, that is a tortured metaphor, but I think you see what I'm going for. If he turns out to just be ordinary and you spent premium draft capital on a guy who has the, at least theoretically, athleticism and skill set to be exceptional, you've done yourself and probably the player a disservice. That was, to circle back to Rashawn Gary again, a, I think, legit concern at the time. I don't think we ever voiced it on the podcast, but you know, people talked about him as a reach. Not because he was a bad prospect, per se, but do you take him 12th overall? I think history would show that was probably a good decision, though maybe the Packers could have traded back and got him at 18, 20, 25. Who knows? Um, I certainly don't, and I've certainly made peace with that suggestion or that selection too. He's been he's been great, but Hall kind of falls into that same category. He does so many things well. You're almost going to have to spend a first round pick on him, but that carries some expectations with it too if nothing else, just for opportunity costs. You passed on other potential first-round talents to take Logan Hall. Does he play like a first-round talent? He reminds me kind of of Dean Lowry, if Lowry was like a super-duper tester. If Lowry put up ridiculous testing numbers instead of merely quite good for his size, he'd be Logan Hall. Or if you put it the other way, if Logan Hall doesn't end up playing up to his testing numbers, he'll probably be a guy like Dean Lowry. He'll carve out a long you know, relatively nondescript role in the NFL for a while, he may not live up to his draft billing. That's a concern with a guy who has the profile of a hall. He can do a lot of different things. He's very interesting. But does he ultimately live up to where you're going to have to take him? Now, if he falls, if the Packers got him, say, in the second round someplace, that'd be awesome. But um, if they if they take him at 22 or 28 then we're having an entirely different conversation. I don't think 22 is really in the conversation, but maybe 28, you never know. It seems like he's got a promising future ahead of him, but expectations are a real part of um, of draft evaluation process, especially you know a couple years down the line. Next up is Travis Jones out of Connecticut. Now, the first guys were sort of tweeners. Carter, maybe more of an edge. Logan Hall, maybe a hand-on-the-ground five technique. 3-4 end. Travis Jones leaves no doubt about it. He is a traditional defensive lineman and probably is going to end up doing some work on a nose somewhere for some NFL team. Six feet four, 200, or 326 pounds. 226 would be awful low. A relative athletic score of 9.4 and a production ratio of 0.83. Like what I hear so far. You want athleticism with size? Can I interest you in one Travis Jones? 49240 at 325 pounds at the NFL Combine, threw in a nine-foot broad jump and even a 28-and-a-half-inch vertical for good measure. Now, that's not elite for a guy who's playing in the NFL, but I'm not going to scoff at anybody who can haul 325 pounds off the ground, 28-and-a-half inches in a straight line. That's pretty darn impressive. Looking at him on tape, 
and he was a guy that I actually did watch a little bit of tape on. He is tall at six foot four, and he plays tall, which is a concern. He does get, I don't want to stay, stay, say stood up at the point of attack, but he, you see him vertical on the line of scrimmage a lot. And that could be because he's trying to hold the point of attack. Sure. But pad level would be a concern with a guy who is as tall as he is. I also wonder if he might be a little bit too big. He is one of the very rare line prospects who actually lost weight during his time in college. Per Dane Brugler's uh, magnificent draft guide, The Beast, he actually lost more than 30 pounds during his time at UConn. And it makes me wonder what kind of player he could be if he dropped another 10 to 15 pounds. Maybe that's just not something he is able to do. There are so many different reasons that people weigh the weight that they do. Maybe that's just not something that his body allows him to do. Maybe he can't get down to 310. That's fine. But it makes you wonder a little bit what kind of player he could be. Could he be quicker? Could he have better pad level? I don't know. Still, the talent is evident. He is fun to watch. It's always fun to watch big guys do really big, impressive things, and he can do that for sure. And he reminds me a little bit of Kenny Clark, but bulkier, like a heavier Kenny Clark, maybe not quite so quick off the ball, though his athleticism numbers, due to his size, uh, come out a little bit better than Clark's. He, he can do some impressive things. If Clark was a little bit slower and a little bit heavier, he would be a lot, a lot like Mr. Travis Jones. And I think pairing the two of them together could be a lot of fun. But again, you have the Logan Hall issue of where do you take him? If you want him to just be a two-gapping nose, can you really justify taking him in the first round? Now, the Packers did that with, with Kenny Clark, but he's proven to be much better when they let him do other things than just that, though he is certainly very capable of being that two-gapping nose guard, nose tackle. Um, is, if Jones is just limited to that in the NFL, I have a little bit of concern about that. Still, um, if he if the Packers came out of the first round with a wide receiver and a Travis Jones, or and Travis Jones specifically, I guess, I wouldn't have a whole lot of problem with that. Beefing up a weakness on their defense is never a bad idea. Ben Still or Ben Stilly, I, I couldn't find a pronouncer on his name out of Nebraska is our last prospect here. Six foot five, two hundred ninety pounds. We're gonna go with Still just for kicks. Uh, 934 relative athletic score, 0.86 production ratio. The traits are all there. The productivity is rare there. How much of it is real? He's the guy that I said reminded me of Tyler Lancaster. So we'll skip right to the end of the eval here, just because nobody's really talking about him as a a high-level prospect, really. And I think you, you understand that a little bit. He was not super dominant at Nebraska, but he's got good athleticism and good-sized and played pretty well at a second-tier program in a big big conference. Sorry, Nebraska fans. Um, however good the history might be, you're not up there with Ohio State and the, the other couple big dogs there are in the, um, in the Big Ten. That's nothing, nothing to be ashamed of, um, but it's just not where you are right now. Still, he, still, whatever his name is, said to be a bit of a liability in the run game, with track, which tracks with the Lancaster comp, too. Um, he'll probably like Lancaster end up being an, a priority undrafted free agent. You like the measurables, Six, the 290 pound guys that can move are, are always good to have around. And with that length, Hey, uh, you might have something if he ever puts it together. Um, even in, in small spurts, maybe as a practice squad guy who gets up on the active roster a couple times a season, 
Other names uh, you might want to keep in the back of your mind. Of course, Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt are going to be worth watching. Davis is going to go long before the Packers pick. Wyatt could be in the in the conversation towards the end of the first round, but I suspect there are some off-field stuff, things related to domestic violence that may keep him out of Green Bay. Um, just something to be aware of. Uh, your stuff, your mileage on off-field stuff may vary. It's just something that is part of his background um, that you should probably take note of. The other guy who's who's interesting to me probably would have been a tier one guy had he been able to complete his testing at the combine or at the pro day. Perry and Winfrey out of Oklahoma had the production numbers um, to get to tier one. He had a PR above 1.0, but a hamstring injury at the combine scuttled his testing. He also weighed only 290 pounds at the combine. I've got him at 300, 305 uh, from the numbers I, I sourced from. So a pretty big guy who can move. But um, if if you're there for a bit of a not, – not so much a gamble. It's not a gamble just because you don't have testing numbers. But if you want to go just on his performance track record alone, you probably got yourself a pretty good prospect in Perry and Winfrey. So there you have it. That is the prep process for the 2022 NFL Draft. I'm excited to get to draft day. I'm excited to do the – okay, what are the Packers actually going to do podcast next week? And I'm even more excited to sit down late next Thursday night and talk about what the Packers ended up doing in the first round of the 2022 NFL draft. I hope you enjoyed this process. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If there's someone you think would enjoy it too, I wish you would do me a favor and share it with that person. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, perhaps me especially, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.